0: God, would you teach us what it means to worship you or give us just a glimpse uh, of who you are that we might take one more step toward you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I imagine uh, you might've said today that, hey, we're gonna go to worship today or we're gonna tune in online this morning and we're gonna go to worship. And while that is true, that's a really narrow definition of worship. I mean, I'm glad we live now in a world of technology where we've expanded our focus, where worship doesn't necessarily have to be in a particular space, that now with technology and with cameras and with all the people who know how to use all that technology, uh, you can be watching this anywhere you want, and you can be worshiping uh, at home, you can be worshiping at work, you can be worshiping anywhere you want and tuning in, but that still is a very narrow definition of worship, and so what we want to do throughout this series is help you to expand your idea of what it really means to be a worshiper. And I thought a great place to start is with a very simple definition of what worship is. And I think worship in a very simple definition is an extreme devotion to someone or to something. Just an extreme devotion. Now, you don't have to look very far to find people who are worshipers. I'll give you a couple of examples. Here's a great worshiper. Here's a man devoted and committed to worshiping. That is a worshiper. Man, there's all kinds of worshipers. Some people love to worship the iPhone. And back in the days when you could be right next to one another, um, people line up through the store as soon as the next iPhone came out. Hey, mine is still working great, uh, but man, I want the latest and greatest of the newest iPhone, and I'm an iPhone worshiper. I'll camp out overnight to get the next one and be one of the first ones to get the next one. I'm an iPhone worshiper. There's people who are Amazon worshipers. <laughs> Man, some of you might be one of those Amazon worshipers, like, man, they offer a sacrifice and they put it on my front door every single day of the week. I don't even know what I ordered. It's just like a box appears, And oh, wow, it's like Christmas every day. I rip open the box to see what is there. We have Amazon worshipers. See, the, the truth of the matter is, is we're all made to worship. <laughs> We are created to worship. You don't have to teach somebody how to worship. They will gravitate toward worshiping something. And so our question this morning is simply not, will I worship? But what will I worship? So if you didn't gather this already, worship is really important to God, in the beginning of the year, I started with a friend of mine uh, through the Bible app, and it's through the Bible Project on our Bible app. I'll read through the Bible in a year, and they put their videos together with a reading plan. And so my friend and I have been doing this together since the beginning of the year, and we're going through Exodus about halfway through January. And for those of you who don't know the story of Exodus, it really is a pretty cool story because what happens, and let's read the Exodus, it's called Exodus because they were leaving from Egypt. Now, they got into Egypt um, by God's hand and provision. That was way of God protecting them originally where Joseph was down there, became Pharaoh's right-hand man, and Pharaoh was so appreciative of everything they did. He said, well, you can bring your whole family and have the choices of the land, and so they did. And they multiplied and expanded and grew, and so that Pharaoh dies, then another one comes into power, and they didn't know about the graciousness of the God in whom the Israelites worshiped. And so they said, well, these guys are getting too powerful and prosperous and they're foreigners. They're gonna take us over. We have to enslave them. And so for 400 years, God's people were enslaved in Egypt and hard labor. And so they cry out to God and cry out to God and God answers their prayer 400 years later. And he sends a man named Moses who grew up in Pharaoh's household to lead them out of Egypt. And so one of the things that Moses then had to do is go back to Pharaoh. And he had this refrain that I find very interesting in light of our series today. He says this, so God says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Now, if you don't know the story, Pharaoh uh, in a very short term says, no. <laughs> and so then there's a plague and disaster comes upon them. And so Moses goes back to Pharaoh and guess what he says the next time? Let my people go so they may worship me. And there's another plague and Pharaoh says, no. And so Moses goes back and here's what God says. Let my people go so they may worship me. Pharaoh says, no. And Moses, another plague, Moses comes back. Guess what happens? God said, let my people go so they may worship me. (laughs) No, no. Another plague, and Moses comes back again. Guess what? God says, Let my people go so they may worship me. No, another plague, and God comes back again. Moses says, Let my people go so they may worship me. Now, after all of these plagues, finally, some of Pharaoh's officials are getting frustrated with Pharaoh, and they they step into a very dangerous territory where they're telling Pharaoh, This isn't working out so well. And what they say is, let the people go so they may worship the Lord their God. Pharaoh says, no. And then the plague where the firstborn children of Egypt all die, except for all of God's people who would put blood over the doorposts of their house so the angel of death passes over them. And so then finally, Moses relents, or Pharaoh relents, and he says this to Moses, go and worship the Lord, as you have requested. I want to give you maybe a little different twist on this for just a moment. If it's truly about worship, if worship was that important to God, why was this such a big deal to Pharaoh? I mean, if what they were asking is, hey, can we just go have a worship experience? Let us go out in the wilderness. We'll sacrifice our animals, worship our God, and then we'll come back. I mean, just give them a weekend off, Pharaoh, if that's all they want. Let them go do their little experience, their little worship thing, their little God thing, and then they'll come back. What's the big deal, Pharaoh? Well, the reason it was a big deal is because worship in exodus meant to serve. And so that's what they were asking for is not, hey, let us go and have a worship experience. Let us go and serve God, which makes a little bit more sense why Pharaoh would be so reluctant to let them go. No, you're not serving another person. You serve me. You're mine. You belong to me. You're my property. I tell you what you do. You serve me. You're not serving anybody. You're not leaving to go serve somebody else. You're mine and you will serve me. God says, no, these people are going to go and they're going to serve me. Now, I think it's interesting when you see some of these stories in the Bible, how God just interweaves the whole story together and how Paul, when he's writing to the Romans that uh, was read just a moment ago by Joe, to, to look back at the Old Testament and go, oh, this is what Paul was writing about. So when Paul wrote to the Romans and wrote these words, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, serve him. This is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What's the true and proper worship? To offer your bodies, to serve him. That Paul takes what was done in Exodus and takes that theme and says, this is what it truly means to worship God. Worship God isn't an experience that you go to. Worship is giving yourself to God. And so what I wanna do this morning very quickly is take seven different words in the Old Testament that are used uh, to describe worship. And often they get translated as worship, but because we have one word for worship, I thought it might be helpful. And I think if you could just take one of these and say, I don't have to focus on all seven of these. Let me just take one of these and begin to live this out. It will transform the way you walk with Jesus. It'll transform your relationship with God. So let's take a look at a few of these words. The first one we want to look at is "halal," And this is where we get the word Hallelujah from. And it really means to make a show or a boast, to really brag about someone. And ironically, the first time we see this in scripture is in Genesis chapter 12, where uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Pharaoh's officials praised her to Pharaoh, like, you're not gonna, you gotta see this woman. We are halaling this woman before you, Pharaoh. You gotta see her. And if you don't know the story, this is Abraham said, hey, they're gonna kill me because you're beautiful. So just tell them you're my sister so they won't kill me. Like, that's a great Valentine's gift, Abraham. You really pulled that one off. Well, and he did this twice in his life, but this is what they did. A few nights ago, I was putting my daughter to bed and we're reading our Bible story and having a prayer. And, and she said something that just shook me. <laughs> She said, dad, wouldn't it be great if God would do these kind of things again? I thought, oh, wow, I am so sad. Like, I, I have not represented God well to you, evidently. And I'm a pastor, I should know better than this. I thought you would have captured some of this. No, God is still actively involved in the world today. And so I quickly just grabbed the first three things that came to my mind where I could point to and say, no, this is, look at where God showed up. And, and I described those stories to her, and she goes, oh, wow. And I thought, man, I have not been halaling God enough bragging about what God does, sharing stories about the faithfulness of God. This is what it means to worship, to brag about God, Halal. The other one we wanna look at is uh, Tehillah, Tehala. And this is where the one, this is probably the one that most of you remember because it sort of sounds like tequila, which is probably what happens if you drink too much of that, you burst out into song. (laughs) This is what it really means. And this is where I love that Luther sort of takes this idea that he said, next to the word of God, music is one of the best gifts that God gave to his church. And this is what happened with... In Exodus chapter 15, they had come out of Egypt, they're across the Red Sea, Pharaoh chases them down and God destroys them in the Red Sea. They all get safely on the other side and they get across and they pull out their tambourines that they had packed from their time in Egypt. Like I imagine there were some guys that are like, why are we packing tambourines? Like, let's take the gold, let's take the silver, let's take our animals, let's get out of here, take some food with us on there. Why are you packing, tam- put the tambourines down and the people are like, no, we're gonna need these tambourines. We are gonna need these tambourines because we're gonna Tehillah, God. And in Exodus 15, we see that, that they pull out. As soon as they get and they're delivered and they're freed now from Egypt, they pull out the tambourines and they break out into song. Pharaoh and his army have been drowned in the sea. Great is our God. And so they break out into song. Shekah is the other one to, to prostate or to bow down. This is what uh, is used when Abraham is taking Isaac up on the mountain. And God tells to go and take your one and only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him on the altar. And so Abraham gets up early in the morning and does what God says to do. And he stops the caravan. He says, you all servants stay here. And my son and I are gonna go up to the mountain and we are gonna shakah God. We're gonna worship him on the mountain. And if you know the story, God told Abraham, take your one and only son. You know, the one I told you, you're gonna have descendants as numerous, take that one son and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham says, okay. Now this is the same Abraham that told his wife to say, you're my sister. It was the same Abraham, by the way, when God showed up and said, just come follow me. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will bless you. Everybody who curses you, I'm gonna curse. And all you have to do is follow me. Okay, so Abraham did. And what you don't see is the years of faithfulness of Abraham worshiping God to get him to a point where he can shanak, shenak him, to prostrate and bow down. I'm gonna just surrender myself to you and to your will. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want, God. That's what it means to worship. Next word is uh, yada, yada, And that is to hold out your hand. And I love this picture in Genesis chapter 29. This is Leah um, after finally um, Judah is born. So she's been childless for so long and prays for a child, has a child, <clears throat> excuse me, has another child, and then finally has this third child. And then she goes, now I'm going to Yadah, my God. I'm gonna worship my God. And I love this because for so long and, and back then it's sort of hard to understand, but boy, childbirth, that was it for, for women. <laughs> And there was such a shame and disgrace if you weren't bearing children. And so she finally bears a child and a second child and a third child. And finally, she comes to the realization that, man, it's just not all about me having children. I'm finally going to worship God. And I love her posture because it's just one of these moments where I, I can't do anything on my own, God. I just come with open hands because I am completely dependent on you. And this is really hard uh, for us in America to really understand because we can pray, give us this day our daily bread. But the truth of the matter is we already got today's bread taken care of and probably the rest of the week. And, and frankly, we probably got more than enough for a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks, who knows how much we've got to live on at home. And so it's hard for us to understand this idea of worship as yada, to hold out your hand, being completely dependent on God. Toda is the next one. And this means to confess, and, and I love this, the psalmist writes, you know, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? I am going to toda. I'm going to confess what I know to be true about you. I'm gonna profess that. I'm gonna remind my soul how good you are. And so I'm gonna confess it. I'm gonna praise. I'm gonna give you thanks. Even when I can't feel it and even when I don't understand it, I'm still gonna praise you. That's what it means to todah, to worship that way. Barak is another one. This is to kneel. And King David uses this in the psalm where uh, everybody would kneel before a king. That's what you did out of awe and respect. And so David said, I kneel before our great God. There is such a humbleness and adoration of who God is and a respect for his holiness that even King David, that everybody else bowed down to, said, I bow down to worship you. That is a great aspect of worship, to give of yourself that way, to make less of yourself and honor and give glory to God. Which leads us to the third one, Abad, which is the one that we hear in Exodus chapter three, to serve. You can pick whatever one you want, but everyone will lead you to this same truth that worship is an experience you go to. Worship is a response to what's happening inside me. This is what it means to worship. It's to just respond to what the spirit of God is doing inside of you. And this is why I think a lot of people are frustrated with worship with what we call worship and come Sunday morning, well, I didn't really get much out of that. Well, maybe it's because there's not much spirit of God that's living inside of you. And this is what we're gonna be talking about in the weeks to come. How do I nurture my own soul and fan that flame that what God wants to instill in me, God wants to make me a worshiper of him. What's getting in the way of my relationship with him? I shared this before in our Mr. Revealed class that we teach every year to talk about the significance of the Lord's Supper that we celebrate. And I'll share it publicly with everybody here. Apologize to those who've been through the class and heard this story before. When I was a kid um, growing up and with my parents, I, I like to refer to it as I had a drug problem. No, I was drugged to church every single Sunday. Like anytime the doors were open, man, we were getting drugged to church and we didn't always go um, willingly. There was a lot of reluctance on my part. And I can remember going to church and and going there. And I knew because we did the same worship every single week, it was page five or page 15, depending on what was going on. And we'd show up in the church and sit in the same pew that we sat in every single week. And we'd go through sort of the same routine and a new song and a new message and and go home. And I can remember walking in the church and when I'd see the the communion up on the altar, and I'd see the middle candles lit, um, what that meant to me as a kid is, oh, no, that's another 10 or 15 minutes in the worship service. And I look back on that now, and I'm like, oh, I am so glad that there is just not a greasy spot where I was standing as a little kid with that thought in my mind that God didn't just smite me right there, and that was the end of my existence. I look back on that now to where I'm at today, and I knew today was a day we're celebrating communion. I woke up, and my first thought was like, oh, yay, <laughs> there's communion today. And I thought back to those moments as a kid, I'm like, man, what, what changed? Well, what would change is my heart changed. Worship didn't change. <laughs> We're worshiping the same God. We're still eating the same bread and the same wine. We're celebrating communion together. That hasn't changed. What changed is what God is doing inside of me. And I love that about God. And this is one of the reasons i love to preach on communion Sundays. And this is one of the advantages of being a senior pastor is you get to choose when you wanna preach. Cause I get to have communion three times <laughs> when I'm here. I love this about our God is how patient he is with us. I think this is what Jesus was getting to when he quoted the prophet Isaiah and he's looking around these people and their traditions and they're just going through the motions. And here's what he said, Mark records this. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And what a sad commentary. And I shudder to think about how many people that is true here this morning or are watching online. Is this true of of you? Man, your heart is far from God. Was one of my mentors used to tell me, if you feel like you're far away from God, guess who moved? And so this is why we wanna work on the series and it's very intentional. I love this. Pastor Jet worked hard um, helping us put this series together and he really led us through this, this process. But very intentionally, it comes after January where we talked about who God is. So we can know him, not who we think he is, but who he says he is. And so if you missed any of that series, you can go back on our YouTube channel or Facebook and watch any of those messages. And then this month we're talking about what does it really mean to worship God? And that leads us into, this Easter season, what the church calls Lent, to prepare ourselves to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Because I think what gets in the way for a lot of people is we don't really realize what God has done for us. Right now, I'm getting through the end of Exodus and the book of, or I'm sorry, the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is all about the ritual purification rites for the priests and for the people. And and you sacrifice a blood here uh, of a bull and a goat here and pigeons over here and all the different regulations and sprinkle the blood seven times over the altar and then over the ground and over the people. And so they had all these things they had to do. And I'm like, boy, you couldn't help but to take seriousness, the holiness of God when you couldn't enter into his presence, without sacrificing, something had to die for you to be able to enter into the presence of God. And I think so much of us, we've taken advantage of the fact that Jesus was the lamb of God as John declared, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that no longer are we gonna have to sacrifice animals, that Jesus's blood was enough, that once and for all, there is a perfect sacrifice. We don't have to do it anymore. And it's so easy, I think, for us as Jesus followers living today to forget that it was God in his great mercy. We didn't have to, but he chose to live and die in your place that you might have life. And it's easy for us to take that for granted and let our hearts go cold and hard. And to let that flame that God placed in our hearts, that God wants to expand into a fire that we can be true worshipers of him. It's too easy to forget that. So I'm gonna jump to the end of the story, literally in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, John gets taken up into heaven, one of the disciples of Jesus, and he gets to sort of see things unfold at the end times. And one of the things he sees in chapter four is the elders and all the creatures gathered around to worship God. And he said, they had this refrain, the song that they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. To heal us, they're they're worshiping God around the throne. And then later, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive the glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. See, when you're in the presence of God, nobody has to tell you to come and worship. It's like, oh, it's Sunday morning. I bet it's time for me to dial in and worship. It's time for me to get into church and go worship. No, they're worshiping all of the time. Why is that? Well, there's a little phrase in between here that I wanted to bring up to you. In between these two songs that are sung, it said, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay down their crowns before the throne. An interesting little phrase, lay the crowns. I was wondering, what, what, is, what is that? Like anything that's of value, like anything that I would be holding on to, that I'm proud of, my crowning achievements, I, I'm laying those down because they're insignificant in this moment, God. And your holiness and, and your awesomeness, this means nothing to me anymore. What means everything to me is you. And so they lay the crowns down before Him and they worship. So the question I wanna ask you this morning and get you to think about throughout this series is simply this, God, what do I need to lay down before you? And what's my crown that I need to lay down before you? It's another way of saying, God, what's getting in the way of my relationship with you? Because God doesn't want anything to get between you and between him. So God, what is it that you're asking me to lay down that I can become a true worshiper of yours? that I might not just come and worship, that I might be a worshiper of you, God, the way you created me to be.